Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Top Order Podcast. Tonight's guest has represented the White Ferns nearly 200 times across an almost 18-year international career, including a rare test match in 2003. You've heard her dulcet tones as part of the Spark Sport commentary team and probably also through the stump mics. And she joins us having recently returned from a tour to the UK. Katie Martin of the White Ferns, welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure about the dulcet tones, um, but yeah, <laughs> I spin a wee yarn on this on Spark Sport, which has been a pretty cool experience. Yeah, we've been appreciating the Spark Sport coverage at the Top Order podcast over the last 18 months, that's for sure. Let's start off the field first in your recent tour to the UK. I mean, COVID has kept so many of us here in New Zealand, in New Zealand for the past 18 months. What was it like to travel again? Yeah, it was a pretty unreal experience. Um, we went through Singapore and there was pretty much no one there and all the shops were closed down and there was a lot of glad wrap over seats and that. And, and getting into London, we went through the back row of the VIP way at Heathrow just to sort of avoid anybody um, that may have COVID. Obviously, England's pretty much opened up now. So, yeah, it was, it was a weird feeling. The planes were pretty empty. So I think a few people sort of saved money on not having to buy business class tickets and were able to spread out in the back rows. So um, I think that's probably the most enjoyable thing for people at the moment traveling overseas is having the road of themselves. But uh, yeah, we're very fortunate position to get over there and, and yeah, play some cricket. I know that other people haven't had that opportunity to do so. So we're pretty fortunate. And in, in terms of your return back to New Zealand, how are you doing now? You've been in a hotel room now for almost two weeks. A few people that we've had on the program have told us it's a pretty tough gig, but is it nice to get away from the team and, and just have some time to yourself after sort of six or seven weeks of being in really cl close quarters with it, with a squad? I have to admit we've pretty much spent every day together. Um, we had two days of waiting for our COVID result to get back. Um, and once, and we're locked in our room for that period of time. And then, once we got out, we were all around down in the yard, and I don't think people were quite sure about what to what to make of us. We we're pretty excited. Um, we've had three fitness sessions each day as well, so our trainer, I guess he's probably not on annual leave at the moment then, is he? So, um, yeah, we pretty much see each other every day, to be honest, and we actually do enjoy each other's company, but um, we did have a chat today to say, oh, is anyone going to wait for someone when we get out of here on Thursday? And everyone was like, oh, no, no, we're just straight home. Like, we've had enough of you. So, <laughs> so we've had an, an extra couple of weeks to hang out but um yeah no uh, be good to sort of i guess get back into normal life and it's not normal being in a hotel room um you know exercising on the bike in a hotel room i've sort of been a bit blocked up i've got congestion from these hotel rooms so i'm looking forward to a little bit of fresh air and some southern air um so yeah it's been it's been okay i mean it's just part and parcel of what, what position we're in at the moment um yeah we're lucky to get in get a spot back in my queue um so yeah it's, it's all good and Katie, I wanted to say uh, well done on those tour diaries you put together. I mean, w watching them and, and seeing the banter and the bonds and the squad, it, it made me think, like, I just want to get back out on a cricket tour again. Um, but it, it sort of, it was interesting. You definitely didn't shy away from showing us the challenging times. And obviously, it was a pretty long time away from home. There's the COVID checks. I think you had con concussion tests during the tour. There was the security threat. I mean, is that kind of representative of, touring life or was this one just way more challenging than, than normal um yeah I think when when I got asked from Spark to to do a tour diary I was quite apprehensive I'm actually quite a private person and yeah I think you sort of hear me on the mic and you you get the persona of a person out there but quite like my um, own time in my room and stuff like that and um, I just committed to being honest about how I felt and there were a few challenges with that concussion and um, we were there I think 
two and a half weeks before our tour even started. And, and it was a really long time, to be honest. It was quite unusual and getting concussion in the first week, um, then having to sort of spend seven days downtime. And then probably the elongated nature of that concussion. I think it was the last two weeks where I felt in a more fresher state, I was able to actually not nap during the day. So that was kind of uncommon for me on tour. But yeah, that is pretty much tour life. Um, we committed to having a a beverage of anybody's choice after a game. Um, so I think a few of those may have been cut out. Um, but yeah, we did spend a lot of time together um, socially because we we're in a bubble, we weren't allowed out. Um, so it gave a bit of a random insight. Um, I'm not sure about the Mr. Whippy bus, we call it over here. I'm not sure, I can't remember the lady's name, but that was all odd experiences. But yeah, that is pretty much tour life and there's so many ups and downs of it. And you know, obviously, you know, from an ODI form perspective, I've struggled a wee bit and you sort of, you know, and I'm desperately emotional and want to do well for this team. And yeah, I sort of, that come across in the videos and you hear people, I guess, you know, send you stuff from social media and what people are saying about your form and that. And, you know, I don't, I don't read that stuff. I mean, yeah, if you're going to read the good, you've got to read the bad as well. So you sort of know that there's chatter in the background about your form. And I sort of was just expressing that I was desperate to do a job and wasn't doing it. And that was a frustration, the emotion that was boiling up. So you know, and that's what people don't necessarily see. They're able to go, well, that you scored no runs or you've not done this or you've dropped a catch. But that's actually how I was feeling at the time. And, yeah, it was from what people have said back home. It was a hard watch um, when those emotional times are down. But I'll tell you, we had a bloody good time while I was over there as well, and you guys saw that. Um, so it is definitely an insight. And, look, you're welcome to come on any tour if you want. I've got the camera here. So uh, we've got a World Cup coming up, so you might be able to get in the background and and film a bit and, and have a few beverages after the games with us as well. Yeah, geez, that'd be nice. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get we'll get to the the World Cup stuff soon because it would be yeah. I'm def- we're all definitely hoping we're all going to be able to. The fans are going to be there and um and big big crowds at that. Um, but let's move on to to the field. I mean, watching the games on that UK tour. I mean, maybe let's take that last ODI out of the question or out of the equation. But it, it really felt like there were a lot of positives. Like different people across the tour stood up at different times. I mean, you mentioned your own form, but, you know, you did get a 65 there in one of the ODIs. Most of the games went down to the wire, but then you look at the results and it's 2-1 England, 4-1 England. I mean, no doubt you guys have had a, a debrief as a squad. How do, you, how do you kind of evaluate what happened on, on the field? Well, we've talked a lot of our focus has been leading into the World Cup, so that was just one tour of that. Um, but I think when we've reflected on the games, there was probably two games out of, Eight that we got pumped in and there was the first game and the last game um the last game like you say we had that same situation in Australia last year so it was kind of frustrating for us to be in that same position um but every other game we should have should have won like we put ourselves in such a great position and to get the world champion team out people have got to remember that we've played Australia and England for the last two and a half years and so if we were playing the likes of Pakistan and West Indies and pieces like that our results would be different but then it's also the best preparation for us leading into that World Cup. Um, you know, getting out for under 200 on a couple of occasions, you know, we, we could have won that series 4-1, to be honest, the one-day series, and that's all we reflect on. We've also, I guess, probably got our batting order in a better way um, with a bit of experience drifted throughout the order, and I think that's probably put us in good stead. And now it's just a matter of, you know, preparing in the domestic season to get runs under our belt. But we've... We sort of would look at that tour and actually say it was success in terms of we've blooded new players. You know, unfortunately, the position we're in in New Zealand with the development of players, we're having to do that on international stage. Like so Hannah Rose been in the team for five or six years and 
probably even longer than that. And now finally that her form that we know she can do is, you know, she was outstanding for us. Um, so it's pleasing multiple people have, have stepped up and that's always probably been the, I guess, discussion point with the team is that we rely so heavily on a couple of players that, you know, if they don't perform, we can still actually score 250 plus. So um, that's probably been the pleasing part about it. And I think we are tracking in the right direction. And at the end of the day, a World Cup, you've just got to beat the team once and then beat another team once. And there'll be games, I'm sure, that we'll target to try and get to that semi-final. And then, Jez, I'm not sure if I'd like to face New Zealand in, a, in an elimination game. And when we all go right, I know teams fear us, but it's just actually being consistent. And it's nice to try and actually win games, get confidence to know we can do it. And there was a few hairy moments there in one of the games. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're definitely tracking on the right direction. Yeah, just taking an, an eye to that World Cup. I mean, it's coming up pretty soon. It, it's getting closer all the time. You mentioned how you kind of, as a squad, how you're feeling about New Zealand's chances. But reflecting on maybe some of the other squads that are that are kind of in that mix, Australia two months ago looked like they'd never lose another cricket game again, but they've just been beaten by India. New Zealand have shown that they can beat England on their day, um, without even without Amelia Kerr, who's going to come back into that squad for the World Cup. You know, there's South Africa, Pakistan, the West Indies, all there or thereabouts. Do you feel like the the kind of opportunity for New Zealand at home is now starting to open up a little bit in preparation for that World Cup? I think I've always talked about when we play Australia, and I'm sure it happens in the rugby as well, you get the bit between your teeth, probably a bit like the All Blacks and the Springboks. And, geez, we've, we've probably had our closest and most competitive games against Australia. It's just... Their team has got so much depth that they're, you know, you've actually got to be 100% on to win the game. And and they've lost a couple of players, um, experienced players in the Indian series. But I think for us, you know, our, the games against the likes of South Africa, um, India, um, and the West Indies and England are going to be games that we're really going to target. Um, and I think that because we're experienced in our conditions, um, we're going to be on bouncy fast wickets. We play India at um, Eden Park, which is a great ground for us with our fast bowlers. And we know that there's a bit of fear with pace attack against that team. So I think we've got confidence in the grounds that we've played in. Um, so, yeah, I think we're tracking all right. I, it's just that series against India leading into the World Cup will be a really good test to see where we're at. And if we can beat them, um, I think we've got five one days against them in a, in a T20 game. If we can beat them, then we're going to go with a lot of confidence um, into that World Cup. And it'd be great to tip up Australia again in World Cup because they're some of my favourite games. We've done a few few times in T20 cricket, so it'll be good to do it one day. Yeah, th- those build-up games against India are going to be huge from a from a psychological point of view, if if nothing else, and and making sure that New Zealand take full advantage of the conditions. You've mentioned semi-finals there. A lot of New Zealanders listening to the podcast, you know, fans of of the White Ferns, would be. Not expecting semi-finals, but that would be kind of the the real bonus, I think, for New Zealand to get into a semi-final and put themselves in with a chance. Is that the expectation for your squad that the semi-final is your is is the thing that you're targeting? Um, not really, to be honest. The final for us is what we're targeting. Yep. We want to win the whole thing, and I guess it's one of those New Zealand things. It was quite interesting. We had a discussion before we went away, and. It was the talk around, no one ever talked about we want to win the World Cup, we just want to go there and, and have a good time and you know, and win games of cricket as you like. But actually, why can't we say that we want to win the World Cup and not be afraid of it? Um, and that, yeah, it's very un-Kiwi-like and me being from Dunedin and a humble character, it's probably not that comfortable for me to say that either. But if we're not going there to win it, then kind of what's the point? Um, and I know from New Zealand cricket's perspective, I'm sure that the tournament will be a success if we're in the final. 
um, irrespective of what happens in that situation. Um, plus, we've got history, the 2010 one at home, so hopefully that'll we'll sort of get a bit of luck our, our way. Um, yeah, but I think for the you know for us, our expectation is we're going in to win it, and and the finals are minimum that um, that we want to do. And we're realistic; we haven't been in a semi final since God knows when before 2016 was it or something like that. Um, I think I was in the last one in Sri Lanka. So, yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, and, you know, the girls are hungry for it. And, and we've been working bloody hard, to be honest. Probably the hardest squad that I've seen in, in my years of being in New Zealand team in terms of the commitment, the camps, the preparation we've had leading into that World Cup. So, yeah, finals, that minimum expectation, to be honest. That's a very Brendan McCullum attitude that we're not afraid to talk about winning. We're not afraid to put pressure on ourselves. Is is Brendan McCullum's approach to cricket, and he was probably the most famous one to to have kind of personified, I guess, from a New Zealand perspective. But do you girls take kind of inspiration from from characters like that in maybe in the men's team or in other groups around the world who aren't afraid to put pressure on themselves? And how long has that kind of change in attitude and persona been coming from your squad? I actually grew up with Brendan McCullum. We played the same at Albion Cricket Ground, a cricket club in Dunedin, him and Nathan. So we're good family friends. I'm sure we probably yarned about that on Spark Sport, reminisced a wee bit. Um, so I sort of know him quite well in that attitude. And we have talked about it. We probably don't want to be as reckless as maybe Baz is at the top. Um, but, yeah, we sort of, our plan is to preserve wickets. Um, but, hey, look, you never know. It might change. It might chuck Sophie up the top and she can give it a wallop. But, um, yeah, I guess we've talked, a lot about what their experience was like at home and they talk about that being the best time of their life um you know and having opportunities to talk to those guys and go what it actually looked like off tour you know out of the ground you know working with public like there was such a groundswell at that time um for the black caps and that's something we sort of in our way want to do as well um but yeah we're we're sure that we're not probably where they were in terms of their performances leading into the World Cup. Um, but, yeah, we'll be leaning on those guys. We train a lot with them anyway, um, both around the regions, um, apart from the North Island at the moment, obviously. But, yeah, we train a lot with them and have a lot of conversations and some of the coaches as well. Steady's been around a bit. He, he coached the White Ferns, which we tell him every time we see him. Um, so he appreciates that. Um, we got him to where he's got to. So, um, yeah, but... Yeah, it's, we do talk to the guys a lot about, you know, what do we do? What pressures are there off field that we need to be able to manage and how can we stay tight as a group? Um, we I, Honestly, it was probably about before we went to England, a couple of months before that, where we actually sat down and talked about the culture of this team. What is this team actually about? And and there were a few lost people, to be honest. It was like, you know, you do your value sessions at, at, and things like that. And for us, it was like, well, hang on, do we actually know what this team is about and what we're looking at doing? And the leadership group and Sophie's really driven that um, to say, look, for us, it's actually, you know, we call it in the boundary or in our little bubble that when we're tied as a group um, and we lean on each other, um, having conversations about cricket and otherwise, that we're actually in a better position and there's a respect that all the girls are doing the work that's needed um, and we're supporting each other to develop our games and, and develop that culture in the team. So it actually hasn't been that long, to be fair. The actual sit down, talk about it and go, Sorry, what's actually going on in this team? So, yeah, it's a continued work on, but we're in a good space so far. Just one question I wanted to pick up on on the World Cup just before we move on. I remember 92 World Cup, New Zealand famous for innovation, <laughs> opened with an off-spin and never heard of, never been done before. You mentioned something a little bit uh, unusual there. Can we expect some innovation or something unusual from this White Ferns team going into this World Cup? 
Well, Bob Carter's a bit old school, so he's been around since 92. Um, actually, Warren Lees is my Otago Sparks coach, um, and he talked a lot about the 92 team and, and what he did there. And um, I, Look, I don't know. I'm not part of those decisions, but I'd love to see it, I tell you. Um, as long as Susie Bates doesn't bowl again, I think we'll be all right. She's <laughs> tried to hand it off spin, and it hasn't been that great. But, yeah, I think... I think we're going to have to be brave, to be honest, and there's going to be moments where we're actually going to do stuff that might be a little bit out the gate, whether it's different field positions. I always say let's bring the bat pad, and I absolutely love them and have a few slips. So I think Sophie's going to sick of me <laughs> saying that. But, yeah, I think, you know, we've got to be brave, you know, to beat these best teams and and have a good time doing it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully. I'd like Sophie to open and have a bit of a whack around some of the Australians. That wouldn't be too bad. Why not? Why not? Great, great. Look at that. Um, I mean, talking about those those two World Cups that we had at home. I mean, it, it's starting to it's starting to make me feel excited about it already. And I mean that you know, I just think of you know, I, I guess we prefaced it before with with COVID, and obviously, you know, the experience will be different than than 2015, probably because of that. But I mean, you know, if it, it, it definitely, I suppose, for us from from the outside, at least, it, it feels like the women's game is really growing in, in popularity and stuff, and. Um, I mean, do you do you feel that when you talk to kids at games and, and school visits and things? I mean, I imagine things are, are way different than when you started in, in 2003. But I mean, it feels like things have ramped up even in the last, you know, three or four years. Yeah, when I tell Fran Jonas that we had dial-up internet when I first started, she's got no idea what that means. Um, and internet cafe is my first tour to India. Um, so that's quite entertaining. But yeah, I, I think with having it actually in, on TV like more and people are able to see it and I think not to disrespect the women's game but they get surprised at the power and the skill that that the females have got I mean you look at um Taylor Vlemick in Australia bowling 127k yesterday and hurrying up the Indians like that's quick for women's cricket um and it gives excitement to the game so there's more athleticism it's being seen people are being seen so that females are role models as well I mean you hear little boys in Australia and so who's your favourite cricketer? And they don't necessarily go Steve Smith. They say Elise Perry. And you think that's a little kid that wants to play cricket because they're able to see their role models and their idols on TV. And, you know, when I did some, um, when I played in the WBBL over there, you just see the grounds are sold out. Kids stay around for ages waiting for autographs. And yeah, you're able to actually get an insight into the players as, as people as well. And I think that's probably been the best thing for it. I think there's also a massive investment um, from cricket boards throughout the around the world. I mean, Australia are on professional contracts, England as well. We're on professional contracts, so you're actually, um, I guess, getting the standard up more because we're able to train more. It's not just training before and after work and trying to fit all that in. So, yeah, I think um, being able to see it has definitely helped the game. And in England, the people get behind in England. It's not just you sort of um, middle-aged guys that come down with autograph books that used to be when I first started. It's young boys and girls and, you know, and the hundreds, you know, really, it's, it was quite good on the back of our series, or back of the hundred, our series, because people sort of were like, whoa, whoa, this woman's cricket's great. And you, we're gonna, you are going to leverage the men's game in some respect around, you know, because it's cheaper to be able to put on women's and men's cricket at the same time. And, and so being able to have double headers, you know, two, two for one price of watching cricket and seeing it on telly, I think that's been massive for the game. And I just, the Commonwealth Games next year is going to actually shine it even more and, and, and the, a more, lot more of the world will see women's cricket and, and like I say, be surprised at the skill set that or the standard of cricket that's being played. 
And look, you mentioned dial-up internet before. What what was it like? Uh, you know, when you started international cricket in two thousand three, we we talked to um, to Leslie Murdoch a, a long time ago, and she was telling us stories about going into pubs and running raffles to fundraise for tours and things. How, yeah, what was it like when when you started? Yeah, we I didn't have to go on a boat. Thankfully, um, we <laughs> we're really respectful of um, of the of the old girls that have come before us, and we always have you know, talk to some of the old players and have them along at times. And when you hear them say we, you know, stitched our own blazers and had to go on boats for weeks to go to England. And for us, I mean, we're, you know, last tour people are flying business class and that's massive for, you know, for the group. But, you know, when I went over there, um, it was a six-week tour to India. It was my first tour. Coming from Dunedin, going to India was just an experience on its own. Um, the smells and the people. And it was so, it was just unbelievable. I, tell the story about well, I played the, um, the my first test match, my only test match, and um, we got into a cricket ball-shaped bus. So literally it was a cricket ball with a seam, and it was just unbelievable. And the bus driver was standing out there just absolutely proud as punch of this cricket ball bus. <laughs> and um, we went down to the ground. It was this private ground owned by a, a guy, that a billionaire that owned an ink company. And so you go through all the shanty towns and it's just unbelievable ground and the game stopped while well his private helicopter would come through on, on the on the helipad and at the end of the game though we had the presentation and it said don't sign no autographs don't sign any autographs and there were fifteen thousand people there I swear in every single game we played and in the test match as well for all four days and someone silly enough signed the autograph next thing you know the roped off crowd is chasing after us we've had to run off the field. We've got a changing room on the on the level on the um, bottom level, so we're whisked into our changing room and we just look out at the ground. Fifteen thousand people just there trying to get into your changing room and just you know screaming, and it was just an unbelievable experience. I think it took about three hours for the police to show them away and for us to get out of there. But it's one of those things that you go you wouldn't get that these days, and so just the experience of that. We used to have armed guards that would take us to the to the um internet cafes and yeah it was just an unbelievable experience i think we didn't, we didn't stay in five-star hotels or anything like that you still had your jandals on in the shower and, and bits and pieces so yeah when i tell someone like fran jonas who's um who's a young pup said oh she wasn't even born when i debuted for new zealand and i don't know whether that's a sign of how great she is and how old i am and that maybe i should have retired or yeah, I'm not sure, but um, yeah, she couldn't believe it when I said they had dial-up internet, and and yeah, and she wasn't even born when I debuted. So, yeah, that's how the times have changed, isn't it? Right, superb. <laughs> well, let's segue onto onto everyone's favourite discipline on this podcast, wicket keeping, for for a little bit. Um, we've been doing a bit of a side project for fun on the Top Order podcast. We've been diving back into the archives. We've created our own little Test cricket Hall of Fame for men, and we're going to do a, a, a Hall of Fame for women after we finish that. We've talked about a few wicket keepers already. Um, Ian Healy was one of them, and the conversation sort of turned towards wicket keeping banter and sort of gamesmanship. And he ended up winning a duel with another famous wicket keeper on the back of that. And we were just wondering if uh, his niece, Alyssa Healy, has as much chat as her uncle was purported to have on the field. Yeah, she's got some terrible chat, to be fair. And <laughs> because I'm a wicket keeper, I, she actually sledges me on and off the field. I bumped into her at a pub one. When- we played them last year in, in Auckland and she was bantering with me and I'm like, mate, I'm just out for a social beer. I'm like, we're not on the field here. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, she does have a wee chirp. She's actually quite intelligent and I won't, hopefully she doesn't hear this, but she actually says some really pointed stuff about technique or putting thoughts in your head, which I actually think is a lot more cleverer than just 
abusing a player. Um, so yeah, she says a few clever things that sort of you think, oh, hang on. She told me to play straight one game and I didn't know I played across the line. So maybe I should have taken her advice <laughs> that game. But um, yeah, no, she does have a wee bit of a chirp and she's got sort of that Aussie arrogance when they're up. Um, yeah, they, they chirp a wee bit. But I tell you, when she drops a catch, you don't hear a word from her for about 30 <laughs> overs. So, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we get a few more drop catches from her. Not that she drops many anyway. Indeed. And in terms of your technique behind the stumps, uh, particularly with the with the banter, any classic lines that, that you kind of go to to, to kind of get yourself in into the contest? Um, you know, any classic ones that you've received or dished out that are particularly funny that you wanted to share? Uh, the only thing, I actually quite like having banter with my own teammates. And you talk about the batter that's right in front of you so they can hear. So there was a game we were playing India and Susie and I were trying to get Mandana and Rob Riggs to play for the Sparks. And so I was talking to Susie and I for two overs straight was just like, well, what, what number are they going to bat? How are we going to bat them? And there was an Otago bowler bowling. So we're like, look at this, guys. This is our Otago team. And anyway, I was running. There was just nonstop, probably for 20 minutes, I think. It might have been in the end. And when Susie fielded at mid-wicket, it was brilliant. So I'd take the mickey out of her because she always dives on her knees. Um, and she, I say there, her mum does her washing, what she does. Um, <laughs> terrible for a 35-year-old. Well, she's probably not 35. She might be 33, 32. She don't tell her I don't know her age. Um, yeah, so after about 20 minutes, both the Mandana and Rob Reeds were in the middle. I was running between overs and they're like, Martin, Martin, they say your last name. I was like, yeah. And they're like, if you shut up for five minutes, we'll sign with the spark. <laughs> So Susie, I said, Susie, no more, no more. And so we shut up. <laughs> it lasted five minutes. They scored runs, so I had to start the chirp back. But, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the best kind of banter that I probably have is around more taking the mickey out. But, yeah, they were entertaining. And they didn't sign for the spark, so it was a waste of time shutting up. Oh, got it. Usually I'd tell Mealy she's got deep pockets too. She gets paid too much money. So when she can't run fast in the field, it's usually she's weighed down by the change in her pocket. But that's the other ones. Nice. So it's, so it's the own team that's got to got to worry about it the most. Since since we're we're talking about your chat, how have you enjoyed the commentary work? I mean, is that kind of how you were were talent spotted? They just heard you through the stump mics and thought this is gold. We've got to get you up there. Well, actually, in Australia, um, so I got last year. I did a little bit of commentary training um, just to sort of try my hand at it and see what it was like. And um, last year in the WBBL, for some reason, I get mic'd up and. Bob Carter doesn't like it because I get too distracted because I just get into the yarns with the commentators. Um, and the, they loved it over there, Seven, because I just said some random stories and I don't know how they understood me. And they said, oh, why don't you, do you want to stay around for a few more weeks before you go back to New Zealand and, and do some comms? And I said, oh, yeah, that would be fine. So, um, yeah, it was pretty raw to be fair. And I was sort of, I don't know how much training come through. There were a few odd mistakes and um yeah i did the coin toss and, and the australian girl didn't understand what i was saying um so that was actually on a bloopers reel on the project in australia um so yeah yeah they sort of just sparks sport reached out and said i was saying you've done some stuff and you've you know your name sort of been put forward a wee bit and yeah they've been fantastic and my approach is sort of like um you know i I'm not one to be critical of players. I think like at the end of the day, you're you're just trying your best what you're trying to do. You know, no one means to get out. Um, but more trying to educate the public a bit more about who the person is and I guess what they're trying to do and a bit more insight into the tactics and talk as if I want to listen to someone at home. I mean, I grew up on Channel 9 days as I'm a bit older, um, listening to those guys and just really intrigued and the Richie Benos and, you know, how they sort of went about things. And so that's sort of been my approach. And look, people are going to love you or hate you, but... Um, yeah, it's been it's been a fun time doing it, and 
yeah, whether, you know, there's more opportunities this year or when I finish up, um, you know, is it challenging at times with all the training and, and finding some time to do it? But yeah, if, if it works out, I'll, I'll keep doing it. And if people like listening to the, some of the random stuff that comes out of my mouth, then, uh, then yeah, I'll, I'll keep going. But if you have any tips, let me know. I'm more than always up for lots of feedback. So Oh, we're, we're novices as well. We had a little stint doing some Auckland cr- club cricket stuff. Uh, fortunately, we did the um, the Auckland club final uh, for the women with and Molly Penfold was playing that game. Few few yeah, few of the white friends were playing it. She was it was a good watch. But um, look, we we we're just about uh, out of time here. So look, just on a on a commentary thing before we let you go in, in your capacity as a commentator, any predictions for the the men's T Twenty World Cup that we're about that's about to start? I, honestly, I can't go past India. I think the guys coming off the IPL, um, I think the boys will do pretty well. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be an India-New Zealand final. Um, but, yeah, I think India have done pretty well, to be fair. And the form that they've got in the subcontinent, I think that'll sort of hold them in good stead. But, geez, the first game the first game is going to be a fun game for us to play. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it'll be an interesting one. Um, but, yeah, no, I think, yeah, India-New Zealand final and then see how we go. Hopefully Maxwell doesn't get some runs. Though. He's been in pretty good form for Aussie, is it? Um, in the IPL, isn't he? So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. What are you boys thinking? Oh, well, we've got an Aussie up there above me, and we're we're just about to to head into our own uh, predictions uh, predictions recording after this, and I, and I think he's going to back for Aussie. But yeah, I'm I'm always behind the Kiwis no matter what we're doing. So yeah, I I can't look past my heart. It's always it's always where I go. Oh well, look, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you, Katie. Really, thanks thanks very much for, for your time. I hope these next couple of days for you go go quickly, and you, yeah, you get out into that southern air. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, and if you see me around the traps, we'll get you on the mics anyway. So uh, there'll be a seat in Spark. We'll, we'll kick Scotty out. He's everywhere anyway, so <laughs> you, you probably do a break. <laughs> oh, well, we might hold you to that. <laughs> thanks very much.